here we are. It's the sequel to more bad vibes, good vibes. We've been, uh, if you're new to our church or you're new the month of November, um, we've been in a season during October called More Bad Vibes where we walk through some of the prominent uh, evil spirits that we find in scripture and now we just had to do a sequel to it called Good Vibes that tells us how we mount up and fight against these spirits that are coming against us from manipulation to deception to rebellion uh, and on and on and on. So. If you want some contextual history to where we're at, go to our YouTube channel, the month of October. There's five messages there, uh, Jezebel, Absalom, Simon, Judas, and Lucifer. You'll hear all of those, and it'll give you kind of a, a framework for where we're headed. Okay, Ephesians 6, 10 through 15. Here we go. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to, let's count these, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. My problem is not people. My problem is evil spirits. spirits. That's our battle. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be, number two, standing firm. Verse 14, stand your ground. That's three. I tell you all the time, if you want to form theology, trace the rhythms of the narrative of Scripture. When you see something over and over and over, there is a theology that's beginning to form. Paul three times has told us in almost as many verses, stand firm, standing your ground, standing firm. He's making a case and he's making it very, very clear. If you want strength against what's coming against you, whether it's lies, it's manipulation, it's addiction, whatever the things may be, whether it's anger, whether it's being given to gossip or anxiety or fear or stress or mental health or whatever, if you want to stand firm, standing firm, stand your ground, here's what you have to do. He is building his case and he's using a very particular Greek word. It's a word we talked about last week, right? It means when concrete sets up. It's a, it's a construction term used to talk about when a concrete or a plaster or something they were building with set up to a place where it was firm. If you want to be able to stand firm, set up and strong, Paul's saying over and over and over. If that's what you're looking for, be real frank with you. If you are looking for a way to stand against whatever it may be, manipulation, lies, picking up the bottle, popping pills, looking at porn, whatever it is, if you're looking for a way to stand, you're saying, I need victory. Paul's setting it up right here, crystal clear. Here's what he says. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully 
prepared. He gives us six items. So he, he builds his case. One final word. He says, listen to this. this. is the final word that wraps up everything. Stand firm, standing firm, stand your ground. You want victory against the evil spirits that are coming against you. And then he gives us the illustration of a Roman soldier. And he walks us through a Roman soldier's outfit. And he uses these pieces of an outfit. He is a metaphorical communicator. He's saying in the most clear metaphor that you would understand, I'm going to show you the things you have to have so that you can have victory, okay? Here is my goal. You, you get to do this next week. I want to give you, I, I want these to be in a way that you remember them. I, I never want us to have a Sunday message that's forgotten by Monday, okay? So I've, I've made a, I've, I've created a couple words that all go together and we're going to walk through these and we're going to remember these. The outfit, the parts of the outfit that we're talking about today are belt, body armor, boots. Why do I feel like an idiot in front of you? Come on, you guys serving kids, right? This is how we get kids to remember. Belt, body armor, boots. Come on and join me. Don't let me be the only one. Belt, body armor, boots. Belt, body, you're not doing the motions. I'm not stopping until Heath joins me. Here we go. Belt, body armor, boots. There we go. We gotta remember these things. Hey, listen to me. If you come here on Sunday and you forget by Monday, how are you going to stand firm? If you come here on Monday and you don't remember on belt, body armor, boots, I'm ready. Belt, body armor, boots, what are they? Let's walk through them. Paul is saying if you want to stand firm, if you want to live a victorious life, if you are tired of being the victim of manipulation, if you're tired of giving your spirit to manipulation and manipulating everything around you, if you're tired of being deceptive, if you're tired of being a counterfeit, if you're tired of being a rebel, if you're tired of being wrapped up in materialism, if you're tired of all of these evil spirits and all of the challenges that come with them, stand firm, standing firm, stand your ground, here is your outfit. You've got to put on the outfit. I, I did a wedding <clears throat> last night, and um, it was funny. I was there, and Jay and Kristen were mentoring the couple, and they were there, and, and Jay said to me, I, I don't know that I've ever seen you in a suit and tie. And, and I said, only time you'll see me in a suit and tie is if I'm marrying them or burying them. That's it. It's weddings or funerals. That's when I break out the one suit that I have, and I put it on, and so this one was a, a wedding, and, and I'm there, and she said, but it was funny because when I showed up, I was wearing a black coat and a black tie, um, and everybody at the wedding knew who I was, not as the pastor, but as the role that I was playing based on the outfit that I was wearing. So I show up, and the wedding coordinator looks at me, and she says, you must be the officiant. And I said, that's right, I am. And then I walk out a little further, and the DJ looks at me, and the DJ says, you must be the officiant. I said, I am, and he gave me a microphone. And then a little further, the videographer sees me, and, and the videographer says, you must be the officiant. And I said, that's me. And he said, here's what we're going to do for video. And the photographer sees me and says, you must be the officiant. How did they recognize? They recognized me by the outfit that I was wearing. Well, when the wedding was over, I brought Canaan with me. I thought it'd be a great time for some father-son moments. It was an hour and 15 minutes away, so we head to the wedding. We're coming back, and we're on a, on a drive back, and Canaan and I are talking. I said, hey, buddy, um, I said, I will get you whatever you want for dinner. Dinner is you and me, guy, and you pick the place, and we're going. And he says, 
I want Subway. I was like, anywhere. Anything that you want. Yeah, he says to me, yeah, bro, let's get subs. And they got blue Gatorade and hot Cheetos. And Can I get a cookie? And I'm like, anywhere you want. He's dead set on Subway. So I punch in Subway and my maps and it takes me, it's two miles away. I show up to Subway and it is in the middle of nowhere in a pretty rough area outside of Navasota and it's part of a gas station. There's a Subway. So I get out and I'm walking up there and I'm in a black suit, black tie, right? I walk in, I walk up to the counter Kid comes from the back. He's got two AirPods in and a hoodie. He's not even looking. He walks up. And he looks up at me and he goes, what, are you an actor or something? <laughs> I was like, nope, just a pastor, just a pastor, right? And he's, he's like, and there are people, they're looking at me. They're, they're staring at me like, what is this guy doing? I felt so out of place. And so we're ordering our sandwiches. And as we're ordering our sandwiches, we're saying, and this person walks up to me. There was this car out at the gas station, really, really cool looking car. I don't even know what in the world it was, but it looked really cool. It was black on black. It had black rims, really tinted out. And this person walks up to me in the subway and says, hey, yo, man, is that your car out there? <laughs> I said, what, the Dodge? And he said, no, 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 not that car. And I was like, no, I mean, sorry to let you down. And it's like, oh, the guy in the suit should have the really, really, really nice car, right? But what was funny was the, the, the time I was wearing the right outfit in the right space, everything was working. When I was wearing the wrong outfit in a different place, nothing was connecting. Here's what we have to wrap our minds around. Paul is giving you an outfit. And he's giving you an outfit for a battle that you find yourself in. And if you wear that outfit in the context of your battle, you are going to experience victory. The problem is we don't even know what the pieces of the outfit are and we show up in battle and we're trying to stand firm and we're wearing the wrong things and everyone's looking at us and we're looking at ourselves and we're saying, why can't I overcome this? Why can't I beat this? Why can't I find victory here? Why does this keep robbing my joy? Why does this keep robbing my peace? Why do I keep acting this way? Why do I keep giving myself to these things? Because we're not wearing the right outfit. So over the next two weeks, three this week and three next week, we're going to give you the outfit. And then the fourth one, Paul wraps it all up with the secret sauce of putting on the armor of God. You know where we're headed today. Don't tell me you've already forgot. Boots, body armor. Wait. I'm done. I'm done. Belt, body armor, boots. All right, let's go. Here we go. Belt of truth. Paul says, stand your ground putting on the belt 
of truth. The belt was a critical piece of a Roman soldier's outfit that he wore. They wore these long flowing robes and tunics that were uh, just long, they were, oh, and in order to go into battle, they had to put a belt on and put that tunic inside of the belt so that they could be mobile and flexible in battle. It was one of the first things that you did if you were going to war is you put your belt on to take in your outfit. They called it girding up your loins. That's what they would say. It, that's, that's that old phrase of speech, gird up your loins, meant take your tunic, put it inside of a belt so that it was tight, so that you could be mobile and flexible in battle. It's interesting, as we walk through these, you're going to see the intentionality of the outfit. He walks us piece by piece by piece, and it's funny, the first five are defensive, the final is an offensive weapon. In other words, he says you can only take up your offense once you've prepared your defense. Once your defense is, defense wins championships, right? At least that's what they say. You gotta get your defense ready and then you're ready for offense. And Paul systematically walks us through this and the first thing he says is put on the belt of truth. Now hear me. Truth, absolute truth, is a non-negotiable in the Christian faith. Here's what I mean by that. You can't be, at, you're, you're at odds. There, there is no such thing as being a Christian and having a relative view of truth. You're just completely at odds with yourself. You're at odds with the very theology that you adopt. In other words, absolute truth and relativism are, are a continued battle, and I'll walk you through it, but there is no such thing as a relative truth in Christianity. There's no such thing. Scripture leaves no gap about it. In fact, I'll give it to you, Acts 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. This is not a relative thing here. This is not you find your way, I find my way, we all go our separate ways and we all wind up to the same place. That's not our faith. Now, if you're not a Christian and you don't adhere to that, that's great, we can talk about that afterwards. But I'm saying, if we are Christians, we have an absolute view of truth. We have a belt of truth that there is salvation found in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If that's not clear enough, Ephesians 1.13, Paul's already prepared the Ephesians, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised to you long ago. Again with the Ephesians 4.21. Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him. Several months ago, we did a sermon season on the I am statements, what does Jesus call himself? John 14, 6, I am the way, the, and the life. How does he follow that? And no one comes to the Father except through me. What did he say? There's one truth. There is an absolute truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What was Jesus' purpose? Awful quiet today, college students. John 18, 37, what was, his, what was his purpose? Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king? Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the saying, I'm just here to tell you the truth. All I'm here to do is tell you the truth. And there is one truth, and I'm bearing witness to that truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. 
When we talk about truth, here's what we're talking about with the belt of truth. It is not a, is that a true or untrue statement, okay? We'll talk about the sword of the Spirit later on, that's the Word of God, and this is truth, and this is where we get our truth, and this is what we base our truth on. But when we talk about truth, here's what we're talking about. We're not talking about whether a statement is true or untrue, we're talking about the nature of truth. I'll give you an example. You say, Jesus wasn't the Son of God, and I would say, there is a collection of passages of scripture, extra biblical texts from Pharisees to demons to followers of Christ during that age and this age that would say that is untrue. There is a lot of corroborating evidence that would say Jesus claimed to be God's son, Jesus was God's son, death, burial, resurrected as God's son. So that's a, that's a conversation of whether it's true or untrue. Here is relative truth, saying Jesus can be whatever you want him to be. There is no logical conversation that comes after that. It is relative. It's saying, well, Jesus can be to me who I want Jesus to be, and Jesus can be to you who you want Jesus to be. There, that is not truth. Truth that starts with you and ends with you is an opinion or a philosophy. It is not a truth. How do you, how do you engage someone who believes in a relative truth? Ask them questions beyond themselves. They don't have truth for it. Because if truth is relative, if your truth is stuck within you, your truth is based on your feelings, not on facts. And how often do your feelings change? How often do your feelings change? Mine have changed multiple times today, right? Your truth, this is what we're getting to. Absolute truth is beyond you. Relative truth is stuck with you. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. If you are stuck within yourself, you are enslaved. What did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you There is a truth that sets us free, which is absolute truth. There is a relative truth that traps us within ourselves, and all of a sudden it's my truth and your truth, and they can be completely at odds with each other. That is no truth. That is a philosophical debate. There has to be a truth beyond us. I'll give you another example. How about this one? Uh, you say, Luke is tall. Thank you, by the way. Stage helps out quite a bit, right? Um, Luke is tall. That's a relative statement. Luke is tall when he's standing next to Canaan, right? But if Luke is standing next to a basketball player who's 6'6", Luke is no longer tall, right? That's a relative statement. Luke is tall is a relative statement. Saying this, tall is six foot six. And if you're six foot six or above, you're tall. If you're under six foot six, you're short. That is an absolute truth. In other words, there is a standard beyond our opinion that defines for us what truth is. This is where we're at. We have to have a truth that goes beyond us. We have to have a truth that is stronger than us. If your truth is not greater than you, you have no power beyond you. If your truth begins and ends with you, there is nothing greater beyond you. And this is the challenge. Throughout history, reformers have called to what? A truth beyond them. What did Martin Luther King do on August 28, 1963? 200,000 people gathered between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. He gets up and he gives a speech. And what does he say? In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. 
When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note is a promise that all men would be guaranteed inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But King continues on and he says, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Nevertheless, he continues on, I have a dream one day that this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. He is calling to a truth beyond the nation. He is calling to a truth beyond people that are, he is calling to a greater truth. And he says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Here's what he's saying. These truths are greater than you and me. And his belief was that if we adhere to truth, that truth will ultimately win. Truth will ultimately reign supreme. He says, we see these truths as self-evident evident that all men are created we equal and that one day he continues his famous speech all of God's children black men white men Jews and Gentiles Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual free at last free at last thank God Almighty we are free at last Victor Frankel Harriet Tubman Corey Ten Boom Job the Apostle Paul all did what they called to a truth that was greater than them and greater than their circumstances to govern their life. That's our first step. If we are to put on the belt of truth, we are submitting to a truth greater than us, an absolute truth stronger than us, not to our feelings, Not to how we feel, not to our philosophies, not to our opinions, but we are saying, I am putting on the belt of absolute truth. When we do that, then we are able to put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Belt, body armor, there we go, you're fading, I'm going to keep you there. Paul says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's Righteousness, the most common means of death in battle for a Roman soldier was a body shot. It was, remember, arrows, spears, hand-to-hand combat with swords and knives. The most vulnerable space for a Roman soldier was the body. When he says putting on the body armor of God's righteousness, he is talking about when things come to attack us, to rob us of our faith, to rob us of our confidence, to rob us of our hope, to rob us of what we feel like God is doing. We have a righteousness that we put over ourselves to protect ourselves. And this is really, really important. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 59. This is a fulfillment of Jesus being the great warrior that comes back to free us from the great enemy, which is our sin. In other words, Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah is saying, you've been rescued from Babylon, you've been set free from your captors, but now a holy warrior is going to come. And this divine warrior is going to be a greater warrior than anything that you've had warring for you. And he's going to set you free from a greater enemy which is your sin, Isaiah 59, 17. This is how he describes him, this divine warrior, which is Jesus. He says he put on righteousness as his body armor 
and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. What is the promise that this divine warrior leaves us? Isaiah 59, 21. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given them. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the righteousness that we put on. The righteousness we put on is the righteousness of Christ. We have to understand this. Our righteousness won't work. In fact, look at what Isaiah says later on, Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. We are all in the same sinking boat. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. What is the very best that I can do for myself? It's still filthy rags. What is the very best that I can do and fight on my own and do it on my own and try on my own and and give it my very best effort? It's still filthy rags. What does he say? Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. But an absolute truth beyond us tells us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, what makes us right before God? Nothing that we can do on our own, Jesus. What makes us right before God? Nothing, in fact, our very best efforts are still filthy rags before him, but there is a righteousness that we become clothed in when we put on the righteousness of God and we experience his grace, his mercy, his love, his peace. That's what we put on. Ephesians 4, 24, he said, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Here's what this means. We no longer live from a place of defeat. We no longer live from a place of failure. We no longer live from a place of being defined by our past sins. We no longer live from a place of what we weren't or what we could never become or what we continue to do. But every day we put on this righteousness, not our righteousness, but God's righteousness given to us through Christ Jesus that empowers us to have a new perspective to approach our life. College students, listen, I think this is brilliant. This is a note that a college girl wrote home to her mom and dad. Write this one down. This is really, really good. She writes, Dear Mom and Dad, I know this is going to really be disappointing to you, but I met a guy. He's about 15 years older than I am. We're in love. We just eloped. I'm two months pregnant. I'm dropping out of school and I will contact you at some point in the future. I'm really sorry, your daughter. Dang. At the very end, she added, P.S., turn this letter over. On the back, she wrote, just kidding. But I did flunk one class and I need 200 bucks. Please keep this in perspective. Brilliant. Brilliant. Kid has a future in sales. You know, Many of us are waiting on a change in circumstance, but what we really need is a change in perspective. 
Many of us are waiting on a change in circumstance. What we really need is a change in perspective. I have some sobering news for you. Your circumstances may not change overnight. What you were in yesterday, you may be in today, and you may be in it tomorrow, and you may be in it for weeks to come, and you may be in it for months to come. And while you may not be able to change your circumstance, you can change your perspective in your circumstance. How do you do that? By putting on the righteousness of God. Not seeing yourself through the filthy rags that you have to offer, but seeing yourself through the righteousness of God that has saved you, that has set you free, that has died for you, that has rose for you, that has empowered you. And how do we do this? We have the absolute truth around our waist and we wake up and we put the righteousness of God on us and we say, Lord, I have your grace on me today. I have your mercy on me today. I have your favor on me today. There are new mercies for me and your spirit empowers me. And what I did yesterday, I'm going to try my very best not to do today by the power of your spirit because your righteousness has made me right before your eyes and there's nothing that I could do to do it on my own. But because of your righteousness, I can live with a fresh, redeemed view of me today. That's what you do when you put on the righteousness of God. When you walk in your own filthy rags, your perspective will never be prepared for victory. It's the number one place the enemy will go back to. Remember what you did? Remember how you lived? You tried and couldn't do it, but God has done it for you through Christ, and we put that on, and we begin to live with a new perspective, and then lastly, we finish with the boots of the gospel. Belt, body armor, here we go. Ephesians 6, 15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. I love this. Again, Isaiah 52, 7. This is a prophecy of Jesus. And it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Paul calls upon this again, Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about them unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. There are two things here, two assumptions that can be made. Assumption one is this, that we need the gospel, and that is true. We need the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, empowerment of the Holy Spirit to save us and redeem us and empower us to live like Jesus and do what Jesus did. We need the gospel. But if we're talking about the fulfillment of Isaiah 52 and Romans 13, it's more than just receiving Jesus, but it is putting on the boots so that you can live out the gospel so you can live it every single day. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about, okay, I've received Jesus, I'm good to go. We're talking about every day putting on the boots of the gospel and lacing them up and going and living like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. In other words, putting our faith to work makes our faith work. Putting our faith to work makes our faith work. In other words, our faith 
was never crafted. It was never God's intention. Genesis to Revelation to have us have a one day a week faith. It was never God's intention to put on the boots of the gospel Sunday morning for one hour, check the box, and then go back out and live your life. It's not the intention. These are not gospel dress shoes, they're gospel boots. You don't wear dress shoes every day, but you wear boots every day, you wear shoes every day. It's the whole image here, he's saying, listen, you put this on and wear it daily. You've got to put it to work. You gotta put it to, thank you. I have some buddies that I fish with in Louisiana, and man, they're wild. Uh, one of them's named Marty. Marty has a boat, and he's got the same boat that Justin has. And Marty doesn't fish often with his boat, and Justin is a fishing guide, and he runs that boat six days a week, 5 a.m. till dark, and I mean, he runs his boat hard. So we go out there to go fishing, and Marty gets his boat out, and right when we get his boat out, there's a hydraulic line that's leaking, the power pole's not working, and we spent the first part of the day, we should have been fishing, trying to get his boat fixed, right? And so we're all sitting there, and Justin's over there, and we're having this conversation, and someone says, how on earth do, do you have your boat with thousands more hours on it and way more wear and tear on it, and you beat the thing to death, and it's running like a top, and we got this one that's in way better condition with way less hours, and, and Justin said something I thought was so interesting. He said, these boats are made to be used, and the more you use them, the better they run, and then he said something, I thought this was so interesting. He said, the worst thing for a boat is to be out of water. Do you know what the worst thing for your faith is? To be out of water. You know what the worst thing for your faith is? To only break it out on Sunday morning. The worst thing for your faith is to only break it out monthly is to only break it out when you need something. The best thing for our faith is to daily wake up and put on the boots of the gospel and live the gospel in our community and to be Jesus to the, to the situation, the scenario, the circumstance, the place that he has placed us in. As we walk through this body armor of God, you're gonna see you gotta have the absolute truth around your waist. You gotta have the body armor of God, the righteousness of Jesus that it's upon us that changes our perspective so that we can put on our boots and we can go out and be gospel people to our community. That's what we're called to do.